Hello everyone, welcome along. This is our penultimate Super 6 podcast of the season and it would be a special one because the Euros are basically within touching distance. It's there. My name's Laura Woods, alongside me as ever, Bio Akinfema. Hello! Yo, what's up LW? I feel like I ain't talked to you in a minute, you know. It's been so long for us, really, because normally we see each other every week. But yeah, no. it's been a bit of a while, isn't it? I've been all right, actually. I've been in Glasgow doing some bits and bobs with TalkSport, had a little bit of a break, got a bit of sun. How are things with you? Yeah, yeah, same. I'm, you know, I'm doing a documentary at the moment, which I can't really go too deep in, but just come back from Nigeria. That was one aspect of the documentary. Uh, it was beautiful to go home. Um, it was just... The love, the weather, the food, um, the intensity. Now I kind of understand why, like, when my parents talk to each other and I feel like they're arguing and it's just love, I get that on a grand scale when I went to Nigeria, you know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good. Nice to be back. Um, I'll see you enjoying the weather. I'll see you. Right. Yeah, I see you. It's different, isn't it? This is this is like summertime Laura Woods and she's a very different entity to wintertime Laura Woods. Ooh, let the world just, know. You know. Barbecues. Oh my, bio had a daiquiri. I had a strawberry oh. daiquiri when I went to Glasgow with Ali McCoist and it was the best daiquiri I've ever had in my life. I should have sent it to you. I did take a photo actually, but... No, yeah, no, no, no. There. It wasn't. We still got to do this because I'm... T- right now, because no. the sun comes out, in it. That's daiquiri time, innit? So I'm just hitting daiquiris left, right and centre. We still got to do this test. I'm telling you, we got to do the combo. Right, have a barbecue or something. I tell you what, actually, next week's podcast, we're back in the studio together. Yes. And I don't know if it'll be too early. I don't think it, I don't think there is a too It's never early too early. It's never too early for a daiquiri. All right, we're next, yeah, yeah. In the, next week we're doing it. Oh, the guest is going to have to be pretty special if we're going to bring daiquiris in. Yeah, I know. I wonder the guest is going to be. All right, let's get thinking about it. Bradley daiquiri. Ooh, <laughs> Daxter. <laughs> okay this week we have an absolute legend on i'm so excited Stuart pierce psycho um he's coming on he's gonna have a chat with you and i and we're gonna be on our best behavior aren't we oh 100 he's still the crazy thing is i grew up watching him in it and he's still got this intensity you know he's, he's you don't get the name psycho just for anything in it so i'm telling you i'm not even gonna try and banner him just because i may run up on him and he may do something so you know what but- <laughs> Okay, let's go meet Stuart Pitt. Covered it. You can now get your hands on Sporting Life's free comprehensive guide to the most eagerly anticipated Euros in living memory. With this free guide, you can harness the power of InfoGoal's expected goals model. Get expert, detailed analysis on all 24 teams and delve into the full tournament preview. Players to watch for each team and preview the race for the Golden Boot. Download yours now for free at sportinglife.com. Well, here he is. It's a legend himself. Very, very uh, privileged to say that we have Stuart Pierce on today. But I have to admit, myself and Bio are incredibly embarrassed because normally we're, you know, we're up and ready before everybody else. And we kept Stuart Pierce waiting. Can you believe that? That's mad. That's, we we apologise. We apologise. I'm a very forgiving man, don't worry, as you can imagine. Thank God for that. But he's now told us he's only got five minutes, so we're going to have to hurry up. <laughs> oh, right. Well, look, Stuart, this time of the year, when, when there's a major tournament, I mean, for you, it just must bring back so many memories, not just of playing in tournaments, but being in coaching staff and, and, and covering in these amazing events as well in your life as a pundit. Is this like, how exciting is this for you on a scale of one to 10? Uh, for me, especially with it, in the, in the most part, for England anyway, being in this country, most of their games, it will be fantastic. I know I've got some special memories from Euro 96, but I've been fortunate enough uh, to have worked right across the spectrum, really, from, from playing in them to coaching in them to being part of the media team with, with TalkSport that we work with, at, at, I think, three talk, major tournaments I've done now. So, Seen the whole spectrum, really, but really excited for this one. You know, I think we've got a wonderful clutch of young players, certainly at England level. And uh, I think with the the pandemic over the last year or so, we're all desperate for a really good tournament to excite us. See, I grew up watching you, innit? Like, you're a legend. And we met at one event. Um, You was the captain. Sorry, you was the manager. Sorry, captain, you was the manager. I came in, done a little team talk and that. And it's crazy because you still got this aura, this intensity. I was telling LW, I was like, you got this intensity that 
Like, I'm known as the beast, but I don't know if I'd want to come up against you. I'm not going to lie to you. So let me just put that out there, Stuart. Let me just put that out there. You get what I'm saying? Listen, the feeling's mutual, big man. I'm not sure I could take you on either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, a lot of people listening that would love to know. <laughs> nah, no, I don't want the smoke. I do not want the smoke. It's okay. <laughs> Before we get into the the main Euros and we talk about all of that, the end of your season with West Ham and the, and the season in general was was amazing. It was brilliant, and a lot of people really loved what you and David were doing, and the players that you brought in, and that everything that you created there. Now you've kind of got to the end of it, and, and you've had a little bit of time to reflect on it. How do you sum it all up? Well, certainly from the players' point of view, David's united a dressing room there that, that really is is built on hard work, I've got to say. Um, we've got some really genuine players in the dressing room that are an absolute joy to work with, and that, that for any coach is fantastic or manager. Um, we've got some talent in the dressing room as well. Every time we've brought a player in from the outside, they've, they've helped... Uh, help with what we've got, whether it be the two Czech boys that we'll see play against England in a week or so, or whether it be Jesse coming in, in on loan in January, whoever it may be. To go with the likes of Declan Rice as well, and you know Mark Noble and one or two others. So they've got a real genuineness and togetherness at the dressing room. And, and by all know, from his time in football, unless you've got that, that work ethic and that togetherness in the dressing room, you're never going to galvanise results. So that's been a real plus for us. We probably punched above our weight a little bit, if I'm being quite honest with you. You know, it, there's certain games where we've come back into the dressing room and I've thought to myself, well, on another day, we, we could have lost this game. But I think it's probably, it's happened too many times for it not to be by chance. I think the players have generated that with their work ethic and work rate, you know. Um, so it's been really good. We know next season's going to be even tougher. To be honest with you, we've got a European campaign. And on top of that as well, you know, whatever you achieve this year in the game is never going to be good enough next year. You've always got to keep improving. So hopefully one or two new faces in the dressing room and one or two players improving on what they've done last year. How hard is it to shift the mindset? So like you said, um, the, the end of the season was, was was very well. How hard is it for players to shift their mindset from a season to then tournament football? How hard is that shift? So, you know, sometimes players will finish on form and then go into a camp and it's and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're not the same. How hard is it? I mean, you've done both, both managerial and as a player. So how hard is the shift? The key for me at this stage of the season, as you know, it's not a physical one. Everyone's physically fit. It's, it's a mental sharpness that you're looking to fine tune in many ways. Uh, I think Gareth will, will certainly utilise his, his experience over time and his tournament experience to know exactly what the players want. It's been a really difficult one, certainly for the England squad, with so many, well, three of their teams been in major European finals extending the league. What I like to do with, with my players when I was prepping, certainly the under-21s for the tournament we went to, take them away. We, we used to go away to Spain where the intensity of the training weren't high, but you, you're looking to bring the togetherness together and freshen their minds up more than anything, you know, and that is key. And I think... You know, Gareth will be acutely aware of that. Whilst they can't go away anywhere and do exactly what, what sort of the preparation I think is ideal, they're going to have to try and do that with their togetherness and get creative with sort of keeping the boys amused within the St George's Park training camp. What do you think of the squad? So when Gareth made that decision and all those names came out, we had a slightly larger one and a slightly smaller one. What did you think of it? Were you quite inspired by it? Do you think it's a good squad? Um well, put it this way, if we were picking the squad last year, we'd have no Harry Kane because he was injured. And I think he's a major plus for the, for this squad. I think he's a, he's a real top quality, world-class player. And the more I watch him, the more I think that, that without him in the England team, we, we are lacking something, let's say. So that's the plus side. He's fully fit, playing well. Um I think we've got more attacking options in the advanced midfield area and up front than, than probably a lot of the squads and teams going forward. I think in previous time, we've had a lot of players that are are really good players, but we've not had the depth in what we've got at the moment. We've probably got at least six players in advanced areas in Mount, in Rashford, in Sterling, that, that, and Kane and, and whatever, that, that can really change games, which is a plus. The downside is 
at the heart of our back line, I hope that we're going to be strong enough to, to, to win matches and the tight games, maybe beyond group stage, where you ne- really need to carve out a clean sheet. And I know Bio's team this year, you know, Carroll used to work at Wickham, so we follow Wickham's results and we played there pre-season. And a lot of their results this year, you were keeping clean sheets and hard to score against, you know, which always keeps you in a gun. Yeah. And that's cr- critical for any team. I guess that's the reason why I didn't play much because my defensive capabilities ain't that great. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on swiftly from that. <laughs> so Stuart, I want to ask you something because every tournament we all know, and that's one thing I do like about, you know what I'm saying, the English public and how we get together, we always say it's coming home. So I actually want to ask how truly, how far do you think England can get and go in this tournament? Um, I'm a sort of stats man and I look and, and think to myself, you know what, England have only staged two major tournaments on our own shores and I, this one's half and half, but most of our games are all at home and at home soil. Certainly, if we get to a final or a semi, it will be all the group games are, you know, there might be maybe a last 16 or a quarter that we have to go and travel. But the only time we've ever done that, we've won it in 66 and we've got to a penalty shootout semi-final in 96. So the stats are in our favour a little bit. I think I get the impression as well with England at the moment, more than any other time, that the media and the public are behind the team 100%. And I've not felt that in the past. I think the manager's created that brilliantly, I think. He's a great statesman, Gareth, you know, and he bring he unites the squad and the media and everyone outside it together. And that in a major tournament will be really important. I, I think we've got every chance, but I would probably say it's the most wide open European championships. I think if you ask 10 people, they'd give you potentially five winners of this competition. You know, you can put a case up for Italy, Portugal, Germany, France, you know, some very evenly matched teams. So... You'll need that little bit of luck. And the question mark for me, Bo, is can we defend well enough? You know, that is the question. I think we can score goals in any game, but can we defend well enough? Talking about all those attacking options, there are some incredible talents in there that they've just been a joy to watch these last couple of seasons. Foden coming through and doing everything he's done with Manchester City. Jack Grealish. You mentioned Harry Kane as well, potentially on for, could he get another golden boot? You know, these are the kind of things that these these young players will be will be looking to achieve. Is it a Harry Kane tournament that you think he might be able to get a golden boot and and how well do you think the likes of Grealish and Foden can do? I think we're in a situation Laura where you look I think Harry Kane has definitely got the ability like Shearer and like Lineker in my generation that went before me to to finish top scorer in this tournament there's no doubt in my mind that he can do that which is a, a major plus it's almost a a given plus for the England squad what the unknown is it's like probably when I went to sort of my first major tournament and Gascoigne come to the fore with Des Walker and one or two others that become real top quality, world-class stars at that tournament. I think we've got some really good players in our ranks, but we haven't got anybody at the moment, you know, that, that's been to a major tournament and delivered a performance that you, that takes your breath away on that stage that says you're a world-class performer and that performance has driven your team to the final and won the final. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to create the next generation of Gascoigne or Walkers that, that go to a major tournament and are brilliant. I think Foden's got the you know the ability, Mount has got the ability, but having the ability and the build-up and actually delivering when the pressure's on at a major tournament are two different things. So these players, the Grealish, the Mounts, the Foldens, they've done it. Champions League, European big nights, play in front of massive. What is, and because I haven't played for my country, so you would know, <clears throat> is there a difference in a, in a mental shift that, you know, they'll say it all the time. I think they've said it with Messi, you know, he does it at Barcelona, big nights, but can't do it for Argentina. Is there a mental shift that, or a mental block that doesn't allow these players to shine like they shine for, you know, their clubs? And I'm just putting it, I'm actually curious. Um, I was asked a question, um, I speak at the odd conference and whatever about leadership and stuff, and people ask me a question, what is the difference between, you know, a, a good club player and a top international? And it is, it's what's between their ears. It's that mental approach. 
it's mental strength. Now, I'm not suggesting any of our boys have not got that mental strength. They certainly have. They're on the international stage and they've they've done something in their careers and their life journey that's got them in an England squad now or any of the international folds, if you like, any of the teams playing this summer. But there are small margins that get you over the line in certain games, decision-making, all of those bits and pieces that define probably how you're thought of as a player. And it's the major tournaments that really that probably define you in many ways. Bio. It, it, you know, it's like which are the players... And probably a criticism, if there is a criticism, for someone who's been fantastic and the leading goal scorer for England over all the years, which is Rooney. Now, Rooney's the leading goal scorer for England. He's been magnificent for England. But if someone said, right, have a look at his career, they would ask the question, has he really, really delivered at a major tournament that's been defining for England to get them to the latter stages and win a trophy? Now, that might be a question mark you would ask. So, you know, you mentioned about... You know, when you was under 21 managers, you took them to Spain and it's about uh, a, a mental freshness and a togetherness. So in your day, was there a lack of emphasis on that? You know, uh, we see that, we see on social media now, you know, Mount, Grealish, Bellingham, they're playing basketball, there's, there's table tennis. There seems like there's a little bit more freedom with the new squad. Was there that lacking in your era, in the sense where it was very much more strict, you do this, you do that, don't do that. You know, do you see a change, or, or and have you implemented, like you said, I, a change I definitely in that? think there's there's a more relaxedness around the England squad at the moment. You know, I I don't see the the pressure that's heaped on the England squad. I see a a group of people like you've mentioned there that that enjoy their own, their company. You know, there's a it's almost like a youth club, but they just happen to play very well. You know, they, yeah, yeah. You know looks they, they, that's how they seem. And I speak with Declan at our club and they love going to meet up with England. And, and that's that's something that's been nurtured and generated by Gareth and his staff and, and the players themselves. You know, they seem to be good friends. So was that different on yours? And I'm not yeah. saying you didn't want to go. And, you know, so I'm not, it's not like I'm trying to get a scoop, but was it not as, oh, right, England... And, you know, you get the prestigious of going to England, but you knew it was kind of work and not kind of fun in your era. And I'm not trying I, to put words I, on I think I would out. probably say there was more pressure on on playing for England years ago. I, I had the impression that probably the country wasn't united by the t- behind the team. And I'm talking about the media and one thing and another. I, I think that there was certain journalists potentially that were happy for the England team to fail because it made their life easier writing stories than ever they yeah. did if they were successful. But mm. um, So that that was a problem. But listen, I, I just feel as though Gareth's got to take, you know, I'm a big fan of his, but he's got to take massive credit because he's done the journey right the way through, from player right through to under-21 manager, so he understands what it's like at the younger age groups. And he stepped up into the senior echelons now and he understands what it's like and what's needed around the camp leading into a major tournament and the togetherness of the players. And I think they've had one or two uh, trials and tribulations, let's say, around football that the England uh, players and Gareth have dealt with brilliantly. And that just brings you together that little bit tighter than, uh, than probably in, in time gone by, maybe. You actually managed England for a game, didn't you? So this was yeah. um, the Netherlands. So you've had, as a as a caretaker, you've you've had some of that experience and a small slice of the pressure that comes with leading the the national side out. What's it like, and and how much pressure does that job bring? Probably to you? for me to explain. I mean, when I was, I come through as a coach, and I was working as under twenty one manager, Laura, and. And I was working also as well alongside Fabio for three and a half years when Fabio was working as one of his coaches. So when we went to the World Cup in South Africa, I made it my business to go into every press conference with him. So I watched him in the press conference, how he sort of interacted with the media. But I used to sit in with the media just to listen to the mood, just for my education. It was really interesting. And when... I become I was under twenty one manager and my office was at Wembley Stadium and I used to go up there and 
whatever. And then Fabio stepped down and they said, would I take one game? You know, why they're waiting for a new manager to come in. That was Roy Hodgson at the time. And I said, yes, obviously. So I took the game. I drove home that day. Bear in mind, I, I used to come in on the train, get on the underground, come across and, you know, walk up to the stadium, go into my office, come home. I went home that day and when I went up my driveway, bear in mind I was living sort of in the middle of nowhere in Wiltshire up a farm lane. There was, I think, four TV vans parked outside my driveway. There was some other people, journalists, all all dotted down. And I I almost scratched my head in amazement and thought, what are you doing? I just wanted a picture of me as the New England manager walking out my house, walking into my house. As you see nowadays on telly, you know, if anything happens, a politician is doorstepped and they're all, and I'm thinking, this is just ridiculous. You you almost got to divorce yourself and say, it's not you as an individual, it's just the job, you know, and that opened my eyes really. When you think you live somewhere, no one knows where you live and all of a sudden you've got four vans parked outside your house. And and that is what the job entails. That is the importance, probably, of being the England international manager. Did you ever think, so knowing Gareth Southgate the way that you do, playing alongside him, being in Pete's Radverts with him, which we've both, by the way, reminded ourselves of, because that is just, (laughs) for people that don't know, how was this Pete's Radvert pitched to you? And were you kind of like, yeah, I'll definitely do this. Like, tell us what it was. It was pitched to the three of us. And they said, myself, Chris Waddle uh, and the gate. And they said, like, unless we get three of you, we're not doing it. So myself and Chris, you know, (laughs) maybe we're a little bit more money orientated, but we said yes straight away. Gareth was fresh. It was in Euro 96. He just missed a penalty. And we had to talk him round. And I said, Gate, I said, don't worry about it. People miss penalties all the time. It's not a problem, honestly. The, the general public won't worry about you you doing a pizza advert on the back of it. So we went to the thing, to the photo shoot to do it and the filming. And he looked at me and Chris across the table as we just started the filming. And he said, did you did you really believe that? We went, no, of course we didn't. But you know what I mean? Without you, it's not going to happen. So I do, I've got to say one thing where I have respect for the modern day players, you know, Bayou and, and everyone that's, that's playing now. I, I in my time, and Des Walker said this to me once, he said, you know what? He said, we had the best of football. And I said, what do you mean by that, Des? He said, well, we got paid reasonably well for what we've done. But also as well, we could lead our own personal life as well without too much trouble and whatever. And The modern day players now, you're under so much scrutiny. It's not easy to conduct yourself, especially when you, you're involved in top international football and stuff like that. And listen, we've worked together, Laura, and you know, you know, I, I pride myself on being a man of the people, you know. You do. You are. <laughs> oh, bye. I could tell you loads of stories about Stuart, but I tell you what, the, one of my most favourites, when I first started working on 5.30 kickoffs on TalkSport Saturday nights, I was terrified for a really long time because you feel like you're kind of, you're, you're trying to forge your way into a, a, a world and a, and a business and you're, you're doubting yourself and you don't think you're good enough to be there and you're really worried about it. And Sam Matterface was a commentator and Stuart Pierce was co-coms every week. And I was so scared of Stuart when I first met him. I was so scared. And he couldn't have been more welcoming and nicer. And he used to bring shortbread. He gave me advice on how to keep warm because it was unbelievably cold some of those nights. Because we'd be there till nine o'clock at night and all, everyone's left the stadiums and we're sat there and it gets even colder. But you were just brilliant, Stuart. In terms of, I can almost understand what makes you a good coach in a way because what you do is you you give people belief in themselves to be able to go and do the jobs that they're meant to do it's almost like a safety blanket um, does that make not sense that you way, heard that before you know that's <laughs> yeah you're safety blanket you nice man you nice come on now you nice you but nice it, but it's like it's it's like giving you the confidence isn't it it's just and it's very little things very minimal things that 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 you can do for somebody to give them the confidence in their own ability to go and do their jobs but it does mean a lot it do, and it does go a long way especially when when somebody is feeling a little bit like oh this is a bit of a, a big job it might be beyond me which is which is why i imagine you know when you're trying to coach players to go and do a job on an international stage where like you say they're going to get 
scrutiny from everywhere and you've experienced that scrutiny that's kind of for them it's like well there's someone yeah. here that's been As there I say, and it's tough. I, I do feel feel for the modern players there's an expectation with modern players that they are the ultimate person and the ultimate professional you know without any blemishes or anything and to be fair, it's not always as easy as that. And under the scrutiny they operate on, sometimes you've got to sort of, you know, it irritates me a little bit when when people of my age probably turn around and say, oh, in my day, in my day. You know, we've all got a, a different view of how things were and you forget some of the bad things, you know. Because I'm on the cuffs. So, yes, um, I, I am the experience now. I'm going to hit 40 next year. So, you know, wow. I'm on the cuffs of the new age and the old age, but I still say that you set presidents, you know what I'm saying? Now, the, the old guard still set presidents. I get it. I get the way society's moved in, in the sense of social media. I get where there's cameras everywhere and I get that they, everybody's got an opinion. Like, listen, people had an opinion back then, but everybody's got an opinion now. So I, I do understand that, you know, it is, I, I do think it's hard or different problems, should I say. I wouldn't say it's hard, I just think different problems, but I still think the old guard, you've you set presidents and we look back um, and say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, we, we try and take what you lot did and then of course try and put our own sauce on it. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? Listen, everybody's got an opinion, but we try and put our own sauce on it. But talking about the old guards, let's talk about the 1990s, the Euro, out of you, which was the, not to say better tournament, which one do you have the 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 bigger memories for out of the tournaments, out of the two tournaments? I think for me, uh, 1990 was the first tournament I'd ever been to, you know, because I'm coming to the game late, I'm an electrician by trade, so I didn't come into the game till I was 21, so... At the age of 25, I went to my first tournament and had no tournament experience. And quite often, you're so riddled with nerves, you probably don't appreciate it. And when you start in your international career, you think, well, maybe there'll be another tournament and another one coming. And whilst 1990 was a fantastic tournament, probably 96, I was that much older. I was in my early 30s and you appreciate it that little bit more especially being on home soil, it was sensational to, to play at Wembley. I mean, I I worked in the borough that Wembley's housed. I worked in Brent, you know, that's where I'd done my apprenticeship as an electrician. So I knew the stadium. I used to work in the stadium as a 14-year-old kid in, in the bars and stuff, when, you know, for international. So I've got a real connection with the borough and the stadium as much as anything. And so Euro 96 was definitely the one, especially the camaraderie that was galvanised within the group as well as we grew during the stadium. I think everything was thrown in. The, the Free Lions song become an anthem of the stadium. And every time I bump into someone, you know, especially of a certain age, I say my first tournament experience was going to games in Euro 96. And I think if you were in any of those games, especially the Dutch game, the German game, it was a special tournament and special matches to be involved in football and I think rightly so we're really proudly put on a major tournament in our country that everyone was really proud of. Stuart I don't want to take your mind back there but um, I did hear you telling a story the other day on TalkSport about 1990 for you will obviously have have some some different sort of memories that, that you want to put behind you but weren't you in the airport and you were sitting in the airport and you were going on holiday and didn't you see the journey? Yeah, I always book my, whenever there's a tournament, I always book my holidays two days after the final. So the first day is to get home and unpack, repack again, and then go on holiday the following day. So two days after the final, no matter, because obviously you've no idea where you're going to go, whenever you're going to finish in, in a final. So I'd done the same for Euro 96 and I was, uh, after the tournament, we ended up going going home, getting packed, going to the airport and I was sat at Heathrow, I think it was, waiting to fly out somewhere and I just looked up and the whole German squad just went past me with the trophy and everything and I thought, well, well done lads, I thought, as you can imagine. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, so we're basically, and we can call it the eve of the tournament now. I think it's it's so close, isn't it? Starts on Friday. I know you're going to be um, involved with Talksport and lots of other bits and bobs. 
our group games, Croatia, Scotland, Czech Republic, when you look at all those individual games, obviously Scotland is, is going to be a, a full of memories and, and especially at Wembley. But how do you think we'll do against these teams? How do you beat the, the different teams? The, the good thing for England, as, as I've noticed over the last year, we can score goals in any game. So that's a major plus for any team. I think we've got flexibility in formation. I think the team are quite happy to play a three or a four at the back and do it seamlessly. So I think we've shown that. The big thing for me in tournaments, as I've found, is the nerves of the first game. You know, it's all very well having high expectation. Uh, we've got a really tough opening game against Croatia. I don't think they're as strong now as they were two years ago when they put us out of the World Cup semi. But, you know, in any tournament... They've lost a few players now, haven't they? Are we stronger then? I think we are, yeah. I think Croatia have diminished slightly. I think we've improved and got better. I think Maguire missing from the heart of our defence will be a bit of a major blow. And if he can get back to full fitness as quickly as he can, the better. Obviously, Jordan Henderson's a major driving force within the group. Now, how quickly he can discover his fitness, I'm not sure. Um, I think it was a good idea to pick him in the squad, That, without a doubt, because of his major influence. I've worked with him at under-21 level and what he does for Liverpool, he's, he's a major driving force within the group, you know, and that's why Gareth picked him without playing a game for his club for months. I definitely think we're good enough to beat Croatia, but it will be a really tight affair. And one thing you can't do, you can't lose to them in the first game because I think we could recover from that, but... You don't want to put yourself under that much pressure. Tournament football so much different to club football and, and even one-off cup games, knockout, that we're used to domestically. It's, it's a whole new dynamic to it, a whole new pressure to it. You're wearing your country shirt as well and that throws up something even, even bigger than, than club football. So um, I just hope that we hit the ground running and they play the brand of football that I've seen Gareth uh, and his team play leading into the tournament. Of course, Folden's got a new trim. So they're saying the Gaza trim, um, which actually, I actually like the trim. It's so, cool, isn't it? Yeah, I like the trim. I like yeah. it, you know, going into all that. Just, that also shows that he's got some confidence, um, which is nice um, going into this tournament. Um, so, of course, there's been a lot of um, comparisons to Gaza. You've played first time with Gaza. Do you see I can that? slightly see the comparison, but Gaza was obviously in a different era, but Gaza was, he had so much good arrogance as a player. It was incredible. I mean... I know when he stepped out to play for England, I've been fortunate enough over my time as an England international that it overlapped with Gascoigne playing, you know. And I think probably there's only been Bobby Charlton that's that's been as, as good or influential as Gaza since that time. There's only Gaza. Um, even we've had some wonderful players play for England and Gerrard and people like that. There's been no one like Gaza, I don't think, that's had the arrogance to want the ball on the big stage, to create things, um, to do whatever he does and to have that madcap gazaness that he had off the pitch to entertain uh, all of us all the time. You know, he was just sensational and we need to find that. I hope that, that we come out away from this tournament and look at Phil Foden or Mason Mount or Grealish and say, we've delivered another Gaza. That's, that's delivered at a major tournament and it's helped England get over the line. But it's, it's all very well elevating these young kids. What we've got to do is, is give them room to breathe in some ways, you know what I mean? Um, Gaza was Gaza. I hope we find another one very soon. The funny thing is because I grew up I grew up on that, you know, I grew up on Gaza. I, even when he did the celebration, see me, of course, I love all that in it. So I bring that now. So even when he did that and the goal he scored against Scotland, you know, I, I wish YouTube was in its element at that, just because like my kids won't know, in it. They won't know that all the Ronaldo's in the I was like, yo, Gaza was doing this. Like he was doing it. Same with like my guy, John Barnes and that, but Gaza was doing it. He had that, he, he just had that je ne sais quoi, where they just will not be able to, you know, I heard Folden say, oh, he's seen highlights, he's seen clips, which of course he's in a different era, but I'm with you and I'm saying, I, I, I do hope that they allow him. I, I felt that they allowed him to express the gazaness and I hope Folden and the Grealish and the Mounts do that and they take that to that next level and then they just 
They run the country forward. Make no mistake, Bio. Gaza was absolutely delighted. There was no camera phones when he was in his pomp, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. But you were as well. <laughs> off, it was madcap, you know. <laughs> he needed to go under the radar a lot of the time. Jeez, oh, wicked. <laughs> I, I, I want to mention that um, the. The last time that we saw England in a major tournament, obviously we won a penalty shootout, mm. and it was great, wasn't it? It was just a, it was just an incredible moment. Do you think, like with with all of your experience in penalty shootouts at international level, what what advice would you give these players? Is there a is there anything really? Is there a trick to it, or you just got to go and score? No, of course there's a trick to it. it it's an exact science penalty taking for me. It's not. You know, it's not a lottery. People people that don't do the work say it's a lottery. The reason why England won a, a penalty shootout against uh, Colombia is because Gareth's done the work with the players. And, you know, in my time before that, with the under-21s, we practised hundreds of penalties and looked at all the stats of, of well, I think the analysis boys that work for the England setup now went away and studied 10 years of footage of every penalty shootout around the world and come back to me and they delivered a set of facts that said the most important penalties, the first penalty, then the fourth penalty is the most second most important. And what... Why? Why? Well, because statistically, if you miss the first penalty, your chances of winning a penalty shootout diminish from sort of 80% down to 60%. Also, the fourth penalty is always the most critical one because that is often the one that puts you out of a tournament, the, the fourth penalty in a, in a five-penalty shootout. Um, they also got all the stats about left-footed players, right-footed players. We've done practice in my time. You know, I know Joe Hart, in my care, had, had faced 350 penalties over a two- or three-year period. So I know his save ratio is 17%. You know, if you do all that work... You know full well when it comes to a penalty shootout, you've got the stats in front of you that turn around and say who your best penalty takers are and who are your worst that are left on the pitch. Now, if you look at England's penalty takers that have missed penalties that have put them out of competition, they're all non-penalty takers apart from myself. You're talking Gareth, you're talking David Batty, you're talking Incy. That's just off the top of my head, three of them. I'm sure there's a few others more that have missed penalties for England that are not regular England penalty takers. So you've got to do your homework and your practice and you've also got to feed back to the players. We fed back to the players the night before major tournaments and statistically told them where their best penalties were, whether it was that way, whether it was that way, whatever it was, you know, and the goalkeepers as well. They do all their homework on the opposition. Which way do they like taking penalties? So... Gareth's made it an exact science. So I was so pleased. I was in the stadium when they won that penalty shootout. And you've got to understand as well, Pickford took a penalty as well. Now, for a goalkeeper to take a penalty, you know full well that you've done your homework. And he is one of your best five penalty takers. So that's why I know that when England, if they go to a penalty shootout, will be as prepared as any nation of the world now. Science is one thing. But ain't emotion another thing? Because um, I ain't going to lie to you. Like, I was taking penalties and then I stepped up to take a penalty in a, in a playoff finals and I don't know how the hell it went over the bar, but it flew over the bar. So so for me, like, don't you say in the sense where don't um, emotions play a part in that whole... So you can put in the work. You know, it's different when you're taking penalties. I mean, I remember... One manager, I can't remember who it is, but made us walk from the halfway line. So, you know, yeah. in training, sometimes you would just set up and you'll line up by the penalty spot. He actually made us walk from the halfway line to to start taking penalties so we get the feel. But even so, there was nobody there yeah. but the boys. And then, of course, you add in how many fans is there. So do you feel that, that there's science and then there's an emotion that plays a part as well? Yeah, 100% I do, but... Uh, I mean, let's just, just put it like this. If, if you talk about, I've, I've been to three major tournaments as an international. Two of those tournaments, I was knocked out at semi-final stage in a penalty shootout. So 66% of the time that I've been to a tournament, a penalty shootout has, has cost me and my team and we've gone home. So I can't just overlook it. I've got to delve deeper into it. And that's what I did. Now, 
as soon as I was in charge of an under-21 team, let's say, by from day one, two years away from a tournament, we practiced penalties after every training session. And we walked from the halfway line and we filmed every penalty and we fed back and we looked at the players. So over a two-year period, they took hundreds of penalties in my care. So when you get to a major finals, you might not go into a penalty shootout. You might, you might not. So we've ticked as many boxes as we humanly can. So when those players come to me, as we're about to go into a penalty shootout against Sweden in a semi-final for the under-21s, I pull a piece of paper out of my pocket that's got a list order of 1 to 23, every squad player, so I know who's the best and who's the worst. And whoever's left on the pitch, I don't wait for them to come and offer their services to me. I'll say to them, you're one, you're two, you're three, you're four, you're five, you're six, right to 11. So they know exactly the taking order straight away. That fills them with confidence. That's what you're talking about. When you've got a group of players around you and you can say, we've practiced for two years for this moment, gentlemen, you know, that is what fills them with confidence. Never taking a penalty in anger and walking from the halfway line at Wembley with no idea whether you're good, bad or indifferent at penalties, that is when your mind plays tricks with you. What we try to do is all those boxes mentally, and the mental side of it is a massive part of it. You're right. But we try to put all the other things that you can influence, tick all those boxes, which also tick some of the mental uh, elements of the game as well. What did you say to Gareth after Euro 96 when England got knocked out? Um, Crap penalty, wasn't it? Have a a slice (laughs) of pizza. There's an advert (laughs) coming out. What was that? (laughs) <laughs> you know sometimes when you get a bit of adversity either in your life or in your profession and um, people sit with you and friends sit with you and say you know i know how you feel and they don't know how you feel they've got absolutely no idea but it's a faraway line when myself and gareth went back to the hotel and we were good friends anyway we met only with england and we got on straight away at like a house on fire we just similar people, similar professionals that care a lot about England. And we sat and at the tournament ended and he'd missed the penalty and whatever. And, you know, it was probably quite nice for me to sit across a table with him that had been through the same emotion six years earlier. Um, But what it done, it made me stronger with my experience. And the following... I think following Gareth Smith, it's made him stronger. And I saw that manifest itself in England's penalty shootout with Colombia. His bad experience, he put to good. And he empowered the next generation of penalty takers to win a penalty shootout because of his experience. And that's that's the mark of him. But there's very little you can say. Listen, him missing a penalty knocked us all out of the competition, you know, and you've got to hold your hands up and say, you know what, the Germans took some fantastic penalties on the day and we felt as though we had the best goalkeeper in the world in in the sticks for us. What about now, if you were to pick the five penalty takers for England? The ones that I'd done the homework on for the last, however, my vision when I first went into the FA to work for the FA was every player, when they come to represent their country at 15 years old, has to take a penalty after every training session. All of those stats should be accumulated and kept and everything that they do at their clubs should be accumulated and kept. So when you come to a stage now and you ask me that question, I can't pick players off the top of my head. I go by stats over a 10-year period. Let's just say this, right? So say your number one penalty taker, and I'm, I'm throwing this out because I just want to throw this out. So say your number one penalty taker... He's your number one, but in his head, in that in his game, he hasn't had a good game. He's felt like his mm. touches has been off, and he has, and he's come to you and said, "Gaffer, I don't want to take it." Would you just say, "All right, cool," and then move to number two, three, four, five? I would, like but I'd like to think I've created an environment where the players know exactly what the journey is to get to that penalty equation, and they would turn around and they would know exactly that before they get to me, I'm coming out with them and telling them what number they're taking. You know, so and that. For me, as a coach or a manager, empowers the player and gives them trust. If that every time they don't have a bad game, I take them off taking penalties. What message does that send out to the player? You know, you you're a current player now. If your manager said you ain't 
we, you get a penalty for Wickham, it's a big penalty. All of a sudden they shout onto you, hey, you ain't been playing well. I don't want you taking it. I want someone else to take it. What message that send you, you know? So I've got to win. It's true. They let me take the last minute penny against Bristol and I scored. So it's all right. Totally you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, I've, I've got to ask you about Declan Rice. You know him so well now. I work with him so much. What are these qualities that, that he has? That Because people think he could be a future captain of England. He's got those kind of qualities in Well, put it so. this way. He captains West Ham United at this moment when Mark Noble's not on the pitch. And he's really fortunate that he's got a great role model with Mark Noble to learn from as a captain, uh, who someone really cares about the club, which which is, is probably the best way to learn. I, I, as an old senior citizen, can impart words of wisdom on Declan, but it, it's the players alongside you. It's like when I started as a pro, it's the senior pros in the dressing room. Bayou will be the same now. He can say something in, in the dressing room he works in now, and he is probably a better role model than the manager or any of the coaches because he is one of them. Now, the same applies at West Ham. We've got uh, Mark Noble, who's a great role model, to Declan as the next generation captain. But he really cares, Declan, you know. He's not found it easy. When he first broke into West Ham, when we were there three years ago, I think, he had some tough games where he cost the team goals. But he's got this unshakable ability to, to react to adversity. And I think that's a real commodity that, that modern-day players need and certainly captains need as well. And I think he cares about the group. He cares about the team and cares about the club that he works for. So I think he'll be a great captain in the future. It wouldn't surprise me if he becomes an England captain of the future. Yeah, I agree. And we've had Declan on this show and, and I've met him and he just seems like he just takes yeah. everything in his stride. <clears throat> it don't seem like he's got an ego. It seems like he's got a love and a lust to learn, um, which is needed. And exactly like you said, I mean leaders inspire by doing and he just seems like he's just got that energy where he's like listen boys we're in this together so I'm with you I do think that he will be an England captain one day like you know what I'm saying after my boy you know Hendo just kind of chills you get me you know what I mean you know what I mean? <laughs> fair, I've been <laughs> let me touch on Hendo a minute I mean Hendo you made a point there I mean I know you're a big fan of, of Merseyside up there but um, he Hendo was my under-21 captain and he was just sensational. He, he really cared about the group. Suffered a bit of adversity when he went to Liverpool as well. People questioning his credentials. But I tell you what, he reacted to that. Same as we're talking about Declan. He reacted to that. And what a leader he is now of the group. You know, I'm not fortunate enough to be on the inside of the England group. But from what I can gather and what I see and hear around football, Hendo and, and what I've witnessed personally when he was a younger man, incredible captain and an incredible unselfish leader of, he, of his group, you know. Um, you talk about Jesse. Jesse has had quite an incredible six months. He, he could not have done any more to secure mm. a place in this squad. And I think the only thing that, if I'm... I'd probably say the only thing that has kept him out from not being picked in the 26 when we lost a player in Trent was probably the fact of we've not looked defensively secure and they needed an extra centre-back in there with Maguire's injury to give us another option. I think if it wasn't for that, Jesse would have definitely been in the squad and I think his form probably deserves him to be in the squad. I saw he put a message out, didn't he, on, on his social media just to say that it's an honour to just to be involved at all. He, and it's funny because he'd been criticised in the past for, for his um, maturity levels, I suppose. And this season, what he's come through and, and to leave a club like Manchester United, even on loan, Stuart, must be quite difficult when you've got the history that you do for, with Jesse and Manchester United. Do you feel like he's really, I suppose, grown up? I don't mean that in a patronising way, but he's come through all the adversity that's been thrown at him and he's become a much stronger person because of it. I think it's probably his time at West Ham this year has helped his, his personal esteem. There's no doubt about that. I think when one or two people were questioning his quality of football and even when we got him, they were questioning whether he could score a goal or not. I think he's ticked a lot of boxes. You know, When he first came, his first week at the club, I talked to him about England and the opportunity if he plays well for us, You know what are his aspirations with England. And I knew... Having spoke with him, he was desperate to be part of this squad this summer. You know, now I, I 
I wouldn't wish ill on anyone, but if there is an injury, I think you've got a wonderful player that would be available to call up that's got his heart in the right place, his form's in the right place. And he gives, not just on the pitch, he gives off the pitch as well to the environment that, that you need to, to generate at a major tournament. All right, so you know you touched on, we touched on captains. I'm curious, who for you has been the best captain that you've worked under? I, I, I had to answer this question. I, when I worked for the FA in, I think it was 2012, 2013, we went to Afghanistan to do a troop visit. They asked me to take the FA Cup out there with another member of staff. And when I was on the way out there, one of the commanding officers asked me if I would talk to a young group of soldiers about leadership, that they're grooming to leadership. And I'd never really talked to anyone about leadership before. I was sort of half perceived as a leader, but I had no idea what that entailed or even to talk to others about it. And I sat and thought, which which people have inspired me and I've looked up to as a captain and why? And the person I come up with was Brian Robson. When I, when I first broke into the England squad, Brian Robson was the captain. He was the best player. He carried the team on his shoulders for, for most of the 80s, I've got to say. And the one thing that, that drew me to him as a person, aside from what he'd done footballing-wise, he was totally unselfish. He always put the group before himself, in my opinion. And that's the sort of leader I would want to follow. You know, and I did follow at the time. And I thought, if you're going to be a leader of any organisation, leader implies people follow you. Why do people follow you? They they follow you because you're not. If you're in it for yourself, and people see that, they'll follow you to a certain extent. Then they'll stop following. They'll say he's in it for himself. I always got the impression if you're going to be a top leader for any organisation or any football team or whatever, a yes, you've got to deliver. To, to a high level yourself, obviously. But I think the others in that group that you're leading, whether you're captain in England or, or whether you're leading an organisation, whether it be Coca-Cola or a major organisation, the employees and everyone that look to you have got to know that you care about them as well, you know? And I think Brian Robson done that for me. He ticked that box. OK, I want to know, Stuart, who you think's going to win the tournament? Who's going to win the Euros? Players to watch and the dark horse of the tournament for you. I'm going to go player to watch Jude Bellingham. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, he's he's of a young age where he won't almost have any nerves. You know, this tournament has fell in his lap. He was a pick that mm. I'm not sure if everyone would, people were mentioning him, but weren't hundred percent sure whether he'd make the squad or not make the squad. You know, it's either or. Uh, he's displaced Jesse, similar type-ish of player. So he's displaced Jesse, and I know how well Jesse's playing. I just think he might roll into the tournament at his age and not have any nerves. And if he's given game time, I think he just might flourish. And he's impressed me in the last two friendlies as well. So he's showing decent form when he's been on the pitch. So him as a dark horse, that, that uh, him as a sort of player that might come and deliver at the tournament, that probably isn't on everyone's radar at the moment. Um Dark horses, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out the checks. I'm going to say that the checks might deliver, and that's solely on working with the two boys that work at West Ham. They're absolute sensational lads. Suchek will be a real threat in both boxes, you know, with his heading abilities, genuineness. Kufel can supply great crosses. So I know them first hand, so I'm going to have them as the dark horses. Now, in regard to who I think is going to win it, you know what? I think it's the most wide-open tournament that there's been. You know, I think Italy are coming in with good form. The French are good. You look at the squad listings of all, all the teams and you tell me. But I'll tell you what, because I've worn the three lines on occasion, I've got to say England. It's but, coming home. It's coming home. Let them know it's coming home. <laughs> we know a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, you can ask Tim. Born up, you get five different teams thrown it into the mix, you know, that, that have got potential of winning it. And that's probably the beauty of it. Just sit back and enjoy the ride, I think, is, mm. is the message. I think that's a great bit of advice, actually. Yeah. Don't don't get too overexcited. Just enjoy everything as it comes and we could have a brilliant summer again. Um, my last thing that I want to ask you, Stuart, this one is um, a little bit more difficult, but we'd like to ask you your ultimate combined Euro 2026 aside team. So you can have anyone from any team in the tournament, a six-a-side team? I think De Bruyne will have to be in it. 
I yeah. I am going to go for Harry Kane will be in it. Yes. Uh, Over Lewandowski, yeah? Oh, yeah. 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 Nice. I see. No. Oh, I'd like to say, yeah. yeah. You want to be here all yeah. afternoon, keep throwing <laughs> other names in. Otherwise, just leave it with me. Yeah. You know, this happens. <laughs> wow. Um, six aside, I'm going to go Carl Walker. I'm going to put him in because I think we need a little bit of pace at the back. Okay. Um, nice. So, what we got? Carl Walker, KDB, and Kane at the moment. Yeah. Back union. Um, I don't think his form is as good as it has been, but Modric, I'm going to put in on what he's done in previous time. Okay. Four, I need a goalkeeper and a defender, don't I? Yeah, I'm going to go Neuer on what he's achieved over a long length of time. And I need another defender. i tell you what. I'm going to have an old stager, a fella who's he's, he's older than me, but plays at the heart of the Italian defence, Cellini. Now, he, he's been around longer than I have. In fact, he's older than Bayou, so listen. He can't yeah. be. <laughs> he's old. He's proper old. I tell you what, the Italians don't concede goals, and at the moment they're coming into the competition not conceding goals. So I think we've got a, a bit of everything in there. That's actually a very good six-a-side team, actually. Should we just go over it one more time? So you've got Manuel in goal, um, Cellini in defence, Walker as well, Modric, Kevin De Bruyne, Kane. That's, that's powerful. A, that's a really that's good team, actually. That's good. I ain't going to lie. That's good. Wonderful. Uh, Stuart Pierce. it has been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on and talking us all things European tournaments, tournament football in general, England, West Ham. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much and enjoy oh, it. Thanks. Thanks, Ledge. Oh, be fair. Really fortunate just to be able to sort of be at the stadium watching the games and just let let that football wash over us. I think it'll be a brilliant summer. I really do. There you go, Stuart Pearce, the legend that is. He is wonderful, isn't he? Yeah, he's. Oh, I'm telling you, that's the second time I've met him now. I like him. His demeanour. It was less intense today, though. I ain't gonna lie. Maybe because he was on the screen and that, and I knew he couldn't grab me. You know them ones. I know. Well, we were late, so I was wondering how it was going to go. But he, he was fabulous. So, yeah, such cool. um, I do. I'm a big fan of Stuart Pierce. Um, all right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Make sure as well that you download the Super Six app. If you haven't already, create an account, play for free by predicting the scores of six chosen Euro 2020 matches, and you could win a jackpot of £100,000. Now, we're going to do our own predictions. So, um, Bio, I'm going to say the fixture. You're going to go first, and then I'm going to copy you, basically. All right, cool, cool, cool. Say nothing. Yeah, I'm ready for this. I'm getting all of these right. I'm getting all of these right. Let's do it. England's opening game, tough one against Croatia. What are you thinking? I've been saying 2-1. England's going to win 2-1. Two, one. Yeah, yeah. I was going to pick that. Can I say it as nah, well? No, yeah, yeah, say it. If that's what you think, say it. Can we say it as well? I'm going to say 2-1 to England on that one as well. Austria, North Macedonia. I know you know a lot about this one. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of research on Austria, North Macedonia. The way North Macedonia striker who plays um, his football in. Okay, um, I'm going to say 2-0 Austria. <laughs> Are you? I'm going to say North Macedonia. I know that they're making their first appearance at a major tournament. And I also know that Austria are looking to break a duck at Euros. So in the last six Ooh, matches, look at you. they've got a win. And they've only scored one from open play off the top of my head. Ooh, so, um, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say for that one, um, I'm going to say it's an Austria win just because it's new, isn't it, for North Macedonia. So I'm going to say 2-0 Austria. Right. Netherlands against Ukraine. Oh, an old VVD, um, mm-hmm. but um, I'm going to say 1-0 Netherlands. Yeah, do you know what? I'm going to go for a Netherlands win as well. I'm going to say 2-0 to the Netherlands in this one. Then we've got Scotland in their opening game against the Czech Republic. Obviously, they've got England in that game afterwards, but yeah. important to get these three points, don't you think? Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to say it's going to be a 1-1 draw. Are you? Yeah, okay. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. Mm, okay, so for this one, do you know what? I'm going to go for a Scotland win. I just think they've got a lot of talent in that side. Um, I know it's going to be hard against Czech Republic, but I'm going to say 1-0 to Scotland in that one. Um, Poland against Slovakia. Oh, yep. Yeah, no, a lot of research about this. Poland striker and then he does what he does, scores with his head sometimes and his left foot. Um, so I'm going to say Poland is going to win this 2-0. Oh, 
I was going to say too now. Nah, you're, you're just trying. That's cool. You can copy me out here. It's cool because I told you we're on this. We said we're going. We're on this today. Right. I'm gonna in that case, alright. I'm gonna say three nil then. Alright, alright, yeah, yeah. It's not gonna be that too much. Yeah, I, I purge. I think three 0 I think international games are really gold. Let's, that do, high, let's both. Let's, go. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's both go two 0 Two 0 yeah. Right, last one. Spain against Sweden. I Spain. Um, I know Ibra's injured. Um, you know, you know, I do my research and that, so that means I think that's gonna make you know Sweden a little bit weaker. So I'm going to say. 2-0 Spain. Yeah, I don't think Sweden's going to score. So 2-0 now. Yeah, that, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. I think you might be right because Laporte is now a Spanish player, isn't he? Yeah, so committed. I'm going to say, yeah, 100%. Aspilicueta just come back from winning the Champions League as well. I think if he starts, I think they'll be full of confidence too. Do you know what? I'm going to go even bigger. I'm going to go 3-0 Spain. 3-0, yeah. Sorry to the Swedes. Ooh. Yeah, there we go. Right. Those were our predictions. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening and a massive, massive thank you to our guest, Stuart Pierce, who was just fabulous yeah, yeah. big game at the weekend opening game of the Euros for England where are you going to be watching it by oh um, my man cave mm. I'm going to be watching it oh. in my man cave where are you watching it uh, just down the pub really nothing ah, yeah. as long as the alcohol <laughs> damn, the pub, the pub. say nothing is cool man traditional yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> I'm, I'm going to the Scotland game though so I'm going to be there so oh. I'm excited about that one you don't need a plus one no, no. do you know what I actually don't um, oh. unfortunately Jeez. sorry so maybe the next one Look, well, I'll let you know okay. keep your phone by you if you don't hear then I'm still working <laughs> it's cool I'll be in my man cave watching you <laughs> alright guys uh, hit like and subscribe come on England come on England this is it Euro starting this weekend absolutely cannot wait enjoy the game we'll see you next time see ya peace